Good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, delighted to be worshiping with you. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We're so glad to have you here. Uh, we have a little QR code on the seat in front of you. We'd love to have you scan that, and you can um, just give us some of your information. We'd love to check in and just let you know the, the, what the church is about and learn more about you. Um, one thing before we uh, get going this morning, we're going to open the Word of God together, but we're in this series um, called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. And what we're doing in this series is we are um, looking at our work lives and how that is shaped by the gospel, how it connects to our faith. So um, we, uh, we talk about uh, our faith in Jesus. We talk about how that shapes us, how it um, speaks into us. And then we go from here and we spend so much of our time um, in our work lives, uh, uh, at our jobs, whatever that looks like. It looks like a lot of different things for all of you. Um, we spend so much time there, and it's it's always difficult uh, to make that connection and to see really like how does how does God how does the gospel um, really speak into and shape what I do when I'm at work and not just when I'm uh, you know at church in a service or um, or with a group uh, of Christians or whatever what does it actually look like in those contexts so in order to help with that we're, we're obviously we're doing this sermon series um, and we're also uh, have been sharing these stories of people in our church family that have a variety of different work experiences and trying to kind of stretch our imagination of what does this look like in different contexts. So this morning, uh, the treat I have for you is Joel Williams, and I'm going to invite him on up. Joel's been part of our church family for a while now. He's a, a friend of mine and a good man. He is a high school math teacher. He is a uh, coach as well. Um, uh, phrases like state championship, coach of the year have been thrown around uh, with with plaques and uh, different ceremonies and things like that. A really amazing guy. And so, Joel, could you start off by just sharing with us uh, what you do and kind of how your faith speaks into all that? How you folks doing? Good. All right. Um, so I have been teaching for 24 years and coaching for 25 years. So um, I currently teach over at Whitney High School in Rockland, and I was also at Wood Creek way back in the 90s, so we're not going to get into that. Um, so it's one of those things where I love that the Lord has um, just he's placed on my heart and allowed me both in the classroom and out of the classroom to be able to just uh, incorporate him as much as possible. So like, for instance, I teach math. Most people, when they hear I teach math, they're like, oh, no. I love it. I mean, I, let's just call it what it is. I love it. And I love that I, I can bring the Lord into various situations in the math class. Like, for instance, um, one of the things I do is when I'm teaching kids about math, we always start with what math is. It's, it's based on a point and goes from there. Well, you can't prove that. All of math, you actually can't prove. It's, you can't. You, there's five things you have to accept. And if you accept them, then you can move on from there. So it's that whole idea that we talk, I talk to the kids a lot about, hey, we're going to go ahead and learn some stuff and study some stuff, but it's all based on faith. You can't prove it. And so it's that idea that we can start right there from the very beginning of where we go, where we go from here. Uh, even something simple like um, proving, uh, doing geometric proofs. This whole idea of you have to prove three things congruent to be able to prove that one triangle is congruent. And we, we use the phrase over and over again, three leads to one, three and one, three and one, three and one. They have no idea what I'm saying and why I'm doing it, but the reality of it is anytime we can bring in uh, the truth of Scripture and the truth of who God is, it's fantastic. And even on the soccer field, it's one of those things where um, we we never set goals on how many wins we're going to win and any of these kind of things. All we ever do is we just speak of culture and being men of integrity, and that's what we want to be and let results take care of themselves. So that idea that 
everything we do is about being above reproach. And again, they don't, again, they don't know why we're talking about it. They just like, oh, all right, that sounds good. Let's do that. So it works. So in the classroom, that's what it looks like. Out of the classroom, um, that's my favorite part. I mean, don't get me wrong. Math is great, but it's not that great. Um, what I love, what I love is I love to connect with kids and that's the best. And so my door is always open from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. I never lock it. It's always open. I guess I shouldn't say it out loud. It's supposed to be locked. Um, but anyways, um, doors always open. Kids can come in, we, and we'll just talk. We'll just hang out. And um, it's amazing to see the things that the kids are going through. And it, it's heartbreaking. I mean, they're dealing with death, divorce, addiction, abuse, identity. You name it, they're, ex- they're experiencing it. And so to be able to just kind of walk with them through it and just be there to to uh, deal with the things they're dealing with and just love on them through it. And that's ultimately what, it, what it's about, just loving these kids. And it's so like in the mornings before work, I, that's usually, I don't turn the radio on. I just love to pray and just pray for my wife and kids. But a lot of times it's just about praying for the kids as well. So like the last couple of weeks, one of it was um, praying for a kid that feels unloved by the kid's parents and another kid that feels like they can't. Another morning was praying for a kid that feels like they can't meet parents' expectations for them. And another one was kid just got through a bad breakup and the follow to that. And so just being able to just pray for these kids when they don't know it. And then when they do know it, just being able to love on them in their tough situations. Like um, I had a family a, a few years ago that um, dad ran out on them. So the mom and three kids were living in a tool shed and just trying to figure out how do we. And this is here in Placer County in, in the Rockland School District. We have over 300 kids that are homeless and people don't know that. Um, and so being able to help these kids kind of get their um, get back on their feet and be able to get going again. And just being able to be with them in their heart, toughest times, like being with a girl and her family. Uh, dad was passing away from cancer, so being with them in the, in the hospital room the night that he passed and just be able to pray with them and just watch over the, and pray with the family and just be there with them. So these kids got really, real crazy issues, but through the grace of God, I get to just kind of be there with them. So Awesome. Thanks, Joel. I just, I love the... Um the commitment in your in your work and your teaching and your coaching, but I just love the the opportunity it gives you to be there for them relationally. It's such a beautiful uh, picture, and I love that. We've talked uh, a couple weeks ago. We talked about how um, sin enters the world. It it skews who we are. It, it it breaks down the world and everything else. And so there's all this um, all these wrong turns we can take. So what does that look like for you from what you've seen, like? yourself or other teachers or whatever, like how does, how does the fall kind of come in and, and twist it all and, and what do those dynamics look like? So teaching is great, um, but if you speak too long to a teacher, you're going to find out that we are a very proud bunch. So all of us have got degrees, grad degrees, I got a master's in math, and we all think that we know better than everybody else. That's why we're more educated. It's complete lie, complete farce. We just play school better than most people is really what it comes down to. So it's one of those things where um, pride can set in a lot. And you see some of the things that the kids and families are dealing with, and you're like, if that was my kid, they wouldn't have that problem. Because the parents a lot of time will ask you, I don't know how to help my kid anymore. And, well, okay. Um, choices, I guess. Um, no, but it's one of those things where it's pride can seep in a lot. Um, but, but at the same time, um, as a coach, arrogance speaks in a lot. If you spend any time with coaches, we are the most arrogant people you've ever met. Uh, I try really hard not to be, and it's, I want to be humble in all that I do, but it, it, the reality of it is, is coaches tend to be a very arrogant lot, and because I'm very proud of what we, what they do and what we do, and it's one of those things to just be able to be humble and, and just say, eh, there might be other ways, and so even working with younger coaches, uh, I try to work with as many as I can, and they'll call me up, and we'll talk, and 
I hear everything under the sun, so I just listen. And then once they get done talking about the situation or the player they're dealing with or whatnot, just said, okay, have you thought about this? And just trying to just work with them in that regard as well. The biggest thing, though, in teaching is probably today is, would be disillusionment, though. Um, so California's got the, the third highest uh, teacher shortage rate in, in America. So now our area is okay, it's better than most, but it, there's a lot of, there's a huge teacher shortage. And so um, even in this area, we used to have 40, 50, 60 people applying for one position. Now it might be five or six. So it, it's starting to get less and less. Um, so teachers are just tired with all the rules changing, all the laws changing, just what you can and can't do in the classroom anymore. It's getting harder and harder. And so, um, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Um, thanks for sharing all that. So lastly, um, you are part of our church family, and I. In as we go from here, right, we're here gathered together as a family and, and as children of God, and then we go out. And what we're really doing when we go out is we're sending each other out into the mission field and everything. So what does it look like for us as a church family do to support you, pray for you, all those kinds of things? Yeah, biggest thing I'd say for any uh, Christian teachers, um, any just Christian kids in, in the public schools in general is just pray for the Holy Spirit, just uh, empower them, strengthen them to just be a light where they're at, light on campus. Uh, again, it, it's hard. Um, so just to be able to have the Lord just empower, empower them to empower me to just be able to do what he's called us to do. Um, and the other part about that is you got to remember what public schools are. It's all based off the philosophy of humanism. And if you study humanism at all, it's Basically, their catchphrase is good without a God. Not without God, it's without a God. And so it's this idea that people are trying to do life without God. And even their, if you read the second manifesto, the very last phrase says, time is on their side. And so it's this idea, you want to know why schools are what, public schools are where they are, just go read the, the humanist manifestos and just start reading them. You're going to see bullet point, this is why schools have turned into what they are. And it's that idea that... Um, it's a dark place. And so one of the things that my biggest prayer is so many Christian teachers have left public schools, and I'd love to see more Christian teachers come back to public schools because these kids are hurting. And it's one of those things that the more people we can be there, that we can be to kind of provide a support, provide them a place to go, and just be able to share God's love with them, it would be beautiful and wonderful. So anybody think about teaching, hey, public school, this would be fantastic. Thanks, Joel. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna pray for Joel, and um, as we do that, what we'll what we'll do is we're praying for Joel as an individual, and we got to hear some of his heart that he carries in, some of the situations that he uh, gets to work within and be sort of the the hands and feet of Jesus in those settings. So we'll pray for him. Um, I also want to pray by extension for everyone uh, in our church family that is a teacher. I know there's a many of you that are teachers, whether that's uh, public school, Christian school, um, homeschool, uh, uh, secondary. Um, uh, higher education, all those kinds of things. So there's a broad breadth here. I also also just kind of along these lines, Joel's kind of talked about um, some of the mentorship opportunities with students. And um, many of you are in your workplace, uh, even though it's not education-based, you are mentoring uh, people in your field and everything. So I just want to pray for all of that. Like we, we are all missionaries and we're all like out in this world doing these things. There's a lot of overlap with what Joel uh, gets to do. And so I'm going to pray for Joel, I'm going to pray for teachers, and I'm going to pray for um, all of us. So would you um, would you join me and just... Lifting Joel up and praying together. Lord, thank you so much for Joel Williams. What, a, what an amazing guy he is. And thank you for the, the, the knowledge you've given him, the spirit you've given him, the, um, the drive to uh, not only be the best that he can be as a math teacher, but also uh, to point people towards you. Um, Lord, you are what we ultimately need. And to invest in those students beyond what the contract requires, but to care about them as human beings. 
I cannot imagine that that is easy on an ongoing basis, Lord. And so I pray that you would give him um, endurance, patience, um, uh, give him that, that desire to invest in people that are made in your image. I pray that that would not um, wane in him at all, but that, that as he's coaching and as he's teaching and as he's uh, interacting with these students and their families before and after school, be with him, Lord. Fill him with your spirit. And may, may you be a, um, a, a light shining on that campus through Joel. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that are educators in, a, in the broad sense. Would you, would you do the exact same things to them? Lord, give them the, the strength and the wisdom to handle an increasingly difficult educational uh, environment. Uh, these kids are going through so much, Lord, and they are hurting so much. Um, Lord, may, may our uh, teachers in our church family be that light and that place of warmth, that place where these students can belong and know that they're safe and, and invested in. Um, would you give them energy? Would you give them opportunity? Would you give them eyes to see? Um, and would your love just spread through um, the teachers that are part of our family? Um, and Lord, I lift up every every person in our church family. Lord, we are all out there in the workplace, Lord, in these these environments where um, your kingdom needs to be done. Uh, your, your will, as it's done in heaven, needs to be done on earth in these very specific places and pockets in our community and around the world. And so I pray for our family, Lord. May we be effective in our work, um, good workers, diligent workers, and also workers that embody the gospel and that bring your light and your love and your grace into every place that we are. We lift that up and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Joel. All right. And now uh, Pastor Nathan's going to come up and open the word of God with us. Good morning, everybody. That is quite the thing to follow. Um, first service, as Joel was up here sharing, I just kind of paused for a second and looked around at everyone. And even sitting here now, up here and looking at you all, it's just a beautiful thing that we have a church family with you in it. Whether you're a guest or you've been here for years, uh, you are a blessing here. And it's amazing just to look at all of you, hear the stories throughout this sermon series of how you all are trying to create a piece of heaven here on earth. And I've had the blessing to work at some amazing places, Creekside being one. And if you know my story, I used to work at a Christian camp called Camp Alta. And Camp Alta was a place of healing for me, but it also was a place that taught me to work for something greater than myself. And one of the reasons why is we had a mission statement that was this. Share Christ's love through a boundless ministry of hospitality. When you think of boundless, that is a pretty big word, right? How do you do that in a camp service area? Well, what it means for us is when a person from a guest group would come up and ask us, hey, can you do blank for us? We would say, yes, we can do that, but also we can do blank, blank, and blank. We would try to take it a step further. We would try to meet their needs, but exceed their expectations. We would try to show them love so much so that they felt Christ's love in every moment. And so that came out in our food. It wasn't just like a, hey, come to our camp and experience camp food. Ugh. 
No, we actually took a little bit of pride in our food there. I mean, ribs, smoked burgers, like it was really good food. And if you were a vegan, we had really good salads, you know? It was a place that we tried to meet every single need we could. Uh, Our cabins, we tried to make sure they were spotless. If you walked into a cabin, we wanted you to feel like every single cobweb was gone. Every single dust bunny was gone so you could feel at home away from home. There were so many other things that we tried to do to exceed expectations, all with the idea of this mission statement in mind. Every single task we tried to do with this mission statement in mind. And that gets difficult at times when there are middle school boys that think they know how to go to the bathroom, but they don't. (laughs) But that's when it's like, okay, am I actually going to live out this boundless hospitality that is based in Christ's love? Another task that uh, not too many people like to do was mow the giant lawn. Right, Every camp, if you've ever been to camp, you know there's one field that is huge. Somebody had to mow it, all right? And this was not a fun task during the summer. It was hot, and if you were a guy and there wasn't anybody there, it was kind of nice. You could take off your shirt and like tan a little bit. But if there were people there, you can't be doing that. You're a staff member. Don't do that, you know? So the only other glimmer of hope is that you got to ride the riding mower, which was fun. It was definitely fun. But other than that, you were sweaty for a couple hours while you mowed that lawn. And it wasn't a great job. People weren't like, let's do it. Like, I will volunteer this week to go mow the lawn. No, that wasn't happening. And it took me a while throughout the summer of mowing the lawns to recognize something, though. If this mission statement is supposed to be the direct heartbeat of our camp as we do things, then my mind shift had to change when I was mowing that lawn. My mindset had to be different from, I can't believe I'm doing this in the sun, too. I can't wait till a kid is playing soccer on this field. I can't wait for a kid to hear about Jesus for the first time on this field. I can't wait for a kid to experience what it's like to be at a camp with a beautiful setting. See, the mindset had to change. The job didn't change, but the mindset behind it did, all because of this mission statement. How we view our work matters. The why behind what we do matters. And some of us, our why behind our work is money, let's be honest, or status, or, you know, that next big step that we can take. But for some of us, we really do look at mission statements. We really do try to live out the embodiment of the mission statement from our workplace, from our school system, from the church that we go to. Mission statements help us understand the heartbeat of organizations. It helps us understand, and it helps the employees understand that they're working for something that's just a little bit bigger than themselves. And here are a few mission statements that I admire. Nike's mission statement is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And before you say, Nathan, Athlete doesn't have a little star at the end. I know, okay? But this is their mission statement, and they have that star there, and if you look down, it says every single person is an athlete. Maybe that's true. Maybe. But Nike makes their clothes with this in mind, right? Whether that means you're a marathon runner and they're trying to craft the best shoe possible 
to push the next step forward. Or that means you're somebody who's like, I just really like how Nike clothes fit on me, right? They are trying to make the best products to meet the needs of the people around them. Another company that I really love, but their mission statement is a little um, wordy, and I'm going to have to fill in a few words to make it kind of make sense, is Patagonia. They're in business to save our home planet, which means they might think we're leaving our home planet eventually, but for now, they're on mission to save our home planet, and it's, as in Patagonia's, core values are to build the best products, cause no unnecessary harm, use business to protect nature, and not be bound by convention. If you've ever had a piece of Patagonia clothing, it is phenomenal, I love it, and I love the fact that they really are about having environmentally friendly clothing. And I bring these mission statements up because when people within these organizations are thinking about their jobs or crafting clothes or trying to figure out the new shoe design or new clothing line, they think of these mission statements. How am I going to help the next generation of athletes? How, how are we going to create the next generation of clothes that doesn't hurt our ecosystem? They are calls beyond money, beyond ego, and beyond self-fulfillment. Mission statements help employees have something bigger than themselves to strive after. But let's say you are an apprentice of Jesus. Your mission statement at your work is much bigger than a simple man-made mission statement. Because even these mission statements, as great as they may be, they are a man-made thing trying to change a man-made thing. But as followers of Jesus, we have a mission statement that brings little pieces of heaven to earth. By seeking to live our lives in a way that shows the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are bringing a piece of heaven to earth. The gospel that you were dead to sin but are now alive in Christ. The gospel of Jesus that shows that every person is made in the image of God and is one step away from following him. The gospel that repairs the broken and the sinners are cleansed of all they have done or will do. Of which we are all sinners but we are also beacons of this gospel at our jobs, our homes, and anywhere we go, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a student, a teacher, a lawyer, a businessman, or simply a friend or retired, everywhere you go, you are a beacon of Jesus Christ. Because to be shaped by the gospel means that we live in a way that shows the love of God and that we love others. So our lives are meant to look different. And when we see our places of work as places for the gospel to be at work, rather than personal gain, status, or money, we see our jobs as places where we can be a beacon of excellence, a beacon of hope, and a beacon of transformation. So let's jump into these three different areas of which the gospel cultivates in us. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10. And we're going to look at what it means to be a beacon of excellence. 
1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So what does this passage have to do with being a beacon of excellence? What does it have to do with our workplace? Well, if we are truly seeking to do all to the glory of God, your work will show it. You will walk in a way at work that you have integrity. You will walk in a way at work where you're going, how is this project going to bring glory to God? How is it going to be something that will further people forward? How can I help my employer? How can I help my employees? If the gospel has transformed your heart, you will want to show God's glory in all that you do. And when you are at work, you have a chance to do your job in a way that glorifies God. Not by your own recognition, just like this verse says here. Not seeking my own advantage. It's not about us. <laughs> it's about showing who God is by simply doing the tasks that are before us. By simply loving our coworker that's next to us. By simply loving our neighbor, we are showing the glory of God. By simply doing your work in a way that shows glory to God, you are being a beacon of excellence here on earth. This would mean that you're not doing it in a lazy way or simply lying your way through work. It would mean you're a person that's trustworthy, a person that's a team player, somebody that can be counted on. It would mean that your work shows that you care and love those you work for and with. This would also mean that you're not working for a raise or recognition. Instead, you're working for the glory of God. And if you're doing this, maybe this means that we have to change our attitude towards certain people at our work or towards certain assignments at our work. If we're really seeking to glorify God, are we doing that by how we love the people in our office? Are we seeking to show by how we have a positive attitude towards an assignment nobody wants to do, mowing the lawn, in a way that we are trying to glorify God? And being a beacon of excellence is not about killing yourself at work. It is not about creating a system where you are a workaholic. That is not the point of what I'm saying. Actually, I don't think you can do your job and be a beacon of excellence if you're a workaholic. Being a beacon of excellence is actually sitting back at the end of the day and looking back at your work and smiling because you know you gave it your best. And to be honest, I have a hard time doing this. I, I shared that Heidi, who was here in first service, will often hear me say, I had this massive to-do list and I didn't get any of it done because this and this and this happened, right? And then I have to pause for a second, and then I go, wow, I am demanding perfection from myself. Instead of recognizing that maybe being a beacon of excellence means that I put my agenda on hold to let God's agenda set the pace. And instead of saying, Nathan, you have to accomplish this, this, and this, it goes, God, what, 
what do you want me to accomplish right now? How can I be a beacon of excellence for you? Let's think about this from not the hat of I'm the one working, but you're going to hire somebody to work for you, right? Let's think of um, finances, for instance. We have some accountants in here, right? Phenomenal job. If you're going to hire an accountant, let's think about this for a second. Would you want to hire an accountant who's going to look at all your finances and try to help you? Would you want them to do an excellent job? Or would you want them to do a job that just, just skates by? I think the answer to that question is very simple, right? You would want an accountant to do an excellent job, to help you out, to be somebody that you can trust and know is trustworthy. And when it comes to this, and when it comes to us being followers of Jesus who want to glorify God in all we do, don't you think we should approach, approach our jobs in a way that is seeking to be excellent? And I'm not saying be perfect, but what I'm saying is that we should try. You don't have to be the perfect employee, the perfect stay-at-home mom, the perfect retiree, but you can Try your best every single day to be a beacon of excellence to the people around you. And if you are seeking to be a beacon of excellence that leads to glorifying God, then you will be a beacon of hope. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that we are a light to this world. So let's read that section in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says this. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Light in many spiritual circles and in many cultures actually means hope. And when we see ourselves as a light, we begin to understand that we carry this hope that is within us, the Holy Spirit that is within us, that is empowering us to walk out our life as a beacon of hope every single place we go, every single place. And yet so often when we go to our workplace, we put our light under a basket. We try to dim it down a little bit. And I think a lot of this actually has to do with what Mark talked about last week, is are we approaching our faith and our life in a way that is about love or are we approaching it in a way that's about fear? And I know personally for me, there are times where somebody asks me, I'm just getting to know this person, what do you do for a living? I hesitate. And the reason I hesitate for a second is because I'm thinking as I'm about to respond, I'm a pastor, they're going to have all these preconceived notions about what that means. And the second I say it, the conversation might be done. They may not want to talk to me anymore. And so there's a little bit of fear in me that's like, ah, I don't want to say this, right? But then there's that side of love that I go, you know what, this is a golden opportunity to share that I'm a pastor, 
And if they have all these preconceived notions, I get to be a beacon of hope that tells them why they're wrong. (laughs) I get to be a beacon of hope that steps out and says, I'm going to love you as a pastor, whether you believe in Jesus or not. That's being a beacon of hope. And when we become followers of Jesus, we become a beacon of his light, a beacon in our homes, our workplaces, and our communities. So whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a lawyer, you can be a beacon of hope and seek to love those around you in every moment, in every place that you go. The gospel shows us that all people are made in the image of God, and Jesus died for all people. And we need to treat people this way. We need to treat people as people who have dignity and respect and that we can treat them in a way that loves them and brightens their day. A simple smile to someone can brighten their day and a simple smile can be a beacon of hope. And speaking of people with amazing smiles, a couple weeks ago, we had Josh Hudapaya up here who got married last night. Okay, they're not here right now, but maybe they'll watch the live stream and hear you clap. So thank you for clapping. (laughs) But when I think of Josh, yes, I think of his profession, but I also think of the person he is. That if you've ever had the ability to have a conversation with Josh, you walk away knowing that that man listened to you, he heard you, and he loves you. Even if he doesn't say those words exactly, he gives you his full attention. He is a beacon of hope. By simply just having a conversation with him, you walk away just smiling. (laughs) And I love the fact that he's a physical therapist because I can't think of a better job for this man. Stepping into situations where there are people hurting, where there are people who aren't sure that there is hope, and he steps in and shares hope with them, shares exercises with them that can lead them on this path to healing. And really when I think about it, I think of the medical field, if it is what it's supposed to be, it really should be a beacon of hope. It really should be. Because if we're having an ailment and we go in and we find out what it is, we have a beacon of hope to know what to do next. And if doctors were beacons of hope, it would be so much better with how they share bad news, right? If they sat and listened and smiled at you and sat with you when you heard bad news, that is being a beacon of hope. When you make people feel heard, when you make people feel seen, when you make them feel loved, that is being a beacon of hope. And if the gospel shapes everything we do, which is a core value at Creekside, you will be a beacon of hope. And that beacon of excellence and that beacon of hope will lead us to be a beacon of transformation. Because the gospel is an act of love and love by its very nature is transformative. And Jesus says the greatest commands have to do with love. Which means that they have to do with transformation. Let's take a look at Mark 12. Mark 12, verses 28 through 31 say this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? 
Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I love that Jesus ends this with that last phrase. There is no other commandment greater than these. Why would he put that in there? Because the truth is, love is transformative. So when we sit with the love of God, we cannot leave that changed. We are automatically changed when we sit and we recognize that there is a God that created the entire universe and yet he loves us so deeply. We leave that loving him and we leave that going, how can I spread this love to the people around me? This is what it means to be a beacon of transformation, that we are changed by the gospel of Jesus, a gospel that is an act of love. The fact that the God of the universe would send a piece of himself down here on earth to suffer a terrible death, but then to rise from dead a couple days later so that we can see we don't have to fear death. But we can choose to love in every situation. And that act of love transforms even the biggest of sinners into people of love, grace, and hope. When we are beacons of transformation in our workplaces, our focus is not on tasks. Our focus does not see people as tasks either. Instead, we see that our entire focus should be on loving God and loving others. So at your workplaces, whether you're home with little ones or in an office space with many people, are you seeking to show the love of God to your coworkers, to your employees, to your students, to your kids, to your customers, to all the people that walk into your presence? When you're getting your two-year-old and you need to change their diaper, are you seeking to love them in that moment? Because if we are people that are transformed, by the gospel. We will find a way to love the people around us. Are we seeking to create the greater good through our work? Are we seeking to create buildings and beautiful creations by showing the love of God and showing love to others? When we step into a role of having to fix things, are we trying to keep the mindset that we can restore these things because of the power of Jesus Christ? Are we responding to people that are mad at us? in a way that shows the love of Jesus. You cannot control how people respond to you, but you can control if you respond with love to them. Does your work, your text, your emails, your conversations with your coworkers, does that show the love of God? Or are they full of gossip? Do they build up or do they destroy? Does your work and how you treat others show them the God that you love and the God that you serve? The love of God is transformative if we are willing to be people that walk in God's love. And if we are willing to walk in God's love, we will let that love transform us. 
because the gospel of Jesus Christ sees all people as image bearers of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ sees all people as one step away from accepting Jesus. We can be beacons of transformation that show who God is in all we say, do, and produce. And as I mentioned before with Camp Alta, we always tried to keep that mission statement in mind whenever we stepped into any situation. But there was another thing at play in this. I believe the director of the camp at that time came up with that mission statement, but I could be wrong. But the man behind the mission statement was a man that loved deeply. And see, one day a dad uh, of one of the employees came into the office of that director and asked the director, how is it that you can ask your employees to do anything, anything, and they do it for you? And he said, uh, it's because they know I love them. <laughs> and I admire this story so much because it reminds me that if we want to be people that are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you must be a person of love. Love is the greatest way to transform your workplace. And it can start in the simplest of ways, by simply saying hello, by simply giving some encouragement, by getting to know the people around you. Or you can be a beacon of transformation in a giant sense by creating a culture that shows that all people are respected and cared for. Or in your neighborhoods, be that person that's on your front lawn saying hi to people instead of running into your garage and going inside. You can be a beacon of transformation. And love is an excellent way to propel your workplace forward. And we can create many different ways to try to create goodness in this world, but nothing beats the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything else phase fails because it's seeking one man-made thing to change another. But the gospel seeks to transform what is on earth into something that is like heaven. And that's why we must remind ourselves that the gospel should be our heartbeat. Mission statements are good. Working ethically is good, but nothing beats the gospel. When we live and breathe out the gospel, we realize that even at work, our lives are not for ourselves. We realize that when we step into our workplace, we don't have to hide the light that the Holy Spirit is giving us. We get to step in and be beacons of excellence, of hope and transformation. When we go to work, don't hide the light that Jesus gave you. Shine. Be beacons of the gospel. Be beacons of Jesus Christ. We have to understand that wherever we go, we are a beacon of something. Let's be people that are beacons of excellence, that are beacons of hope, that are beacons of transformation. Because if we are this, no matter if you stay home with the kids or are retired or go to the workplace, you will be a beacon of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your workplace. So as the worship team comes back up, I want to pray that over us. I want to pray, you know, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would show us right now in our mind, whether that's in our homes or our neighborhood or workplace, help us know how it is that you want us to be a beacon of your light.
God, help us understand that it is your gospel at work within us that transforms us. And Lord, may we have the courage to choose love over fear. May we be a people that show up to work in a way that seeks to do our job to glorify you. May we show up to work recognizing that you have given us a light, that we can be beacons of hope. Lord, may we recognize that when the scribes came to you and asked you, what are the greatest commands? You said two commands that are rooted in love. Lord, may we be transformed by that love and may we be beacons of transformation. Lord, I pray that tomorrow morning when we start getting ready for work, that we would be reminded that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you call us to be your apprentice. In Jesus' name, amen.